0: You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast. A common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie.
1: Oh yeah. Here I am, the conservative hippie, and I've got a really cool show for you. Once in a while, we do these hanging with Hippie sessions on the Indecent Disclosure channel on Telegram. That's my friend Emily Johnson's channel. She was a write-in candidate for governor of Illinois. She's just an all-around great person. And we do these live chats on Telegram, on her channel. And uh, we were so lucky to have Eric John Burner candidate for president of the United States and the Republican Party, come on and answer questions from the public and answer questions from Emily. So this is, I think it's hanging with hippie session number 11, and we're going to get right to it. Remember, it is a live chat on Telegram, so the audio quality isn't always the best as uh, you would come to expect from the conservative hippie podcast. And once in a while, there's some fits and some stammers from being a live show uh, with live live guests that are asking questions. But without further ado, let's just get to it.
2: Perfect. Eric, how are you, Mr. Burner?
1: I'm
0: doing quite well, Mrs. Johnson.
2: Thank you. Um, thank you for being here tonight. Um, it's been a while since we've chatted. So like I said, we're going into this blind. And I'd first like to thank you for being here tonight and accepting my offer to do this on my channel. Um I think we all need to sort of rally around each other right now and stick with the people who are moving forward in this mission. So um, welcome to Indecent Disclosure.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate you having us.
2: No problem. Well, I just want to go ahead and start out with some introductions. Uh, most of you guys know Jay. Jay Fratt is uh, the campaign manager for uh, Borner in the USA campaign and um, Eric Don Borner is running for president in the United States for 2024. So um, I want Eric to go ahead and tell us a little bit about his background. Um, I was going to sort of rattle some things off, but I'll just let you go ahead and do that because I'm going to do this in the simplest form possible and just straight ask you questions because um, I just want to keep this short and sweet. So if you could just go ahead with your background. that.
0: All me. right. Sounds great. So h- hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric John Berner, and uh, indeed, I am running for president in the United States of America under the Republican banner. Um, I have been a federal employee for over 33 years. Uh, I started out in the U.S. Air Force, and uh, I moved on from the Air Force to the Department of Defense, and I worked for the Department of Defense in the Mojave Desert, uh, working for a, uh, the U.S. Army and a, a large uh, multi-federal state and university Uh, data collection system that I uh, worked there for six years at that project and then I moved to the Pacific Northwest to work for the Department of Commerce uh, primarily for the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Agency. Um, About 2012 I uh, got into a little bit of a uh, accident up in the North Pole and uh, I broke my leg and my hip and uh, dislocated a couple of discs in my back. And uh, uh, I went through the process of early retirement with the Department of Commerce then. And uh, since 2017, I've been uh, formally retired from the Department of Commerce. And uh, and since then, I've been working on my own, developing a media company called uh, Beats Creations. And uh, I've been DJing on the side with that media company uh, under the moniker of DJ Shadowmind. Um, so that's that's pretty much my uh, resume in a, in a nutshell.
2: Awesome, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, we're definitely living in a time right now where we need some good leadership and this country is so polarized. So I think we're gonna start off with a question about leadership. Um, And some of these questions are from other people, some are my own, Um, later on I'll open it up to anything that I haven't covered, but I'll just start with some that um, I thought were important to begin with. Uh, The first one was, what is your definition of leadership and the first three things that you're going to do to raise America's confidence once you're in office?
0: Well, leadership is definitely one of those things that um, either takes a lot of training to get or it's something you're born with. Uh, Personally, I've been told my entire life I'm a natural-born leader who stands up whenever there's a crisis and nobody else wants to uh, take that leap of faith. I'm usually the first guy that raises his hand and and actually does stand up and takes the ball home, basically, so to say. Um, What what would I do to uh, inspire confidence in America again? Um, first off, I think the primary thing is changing the way we speak in politics. Uh, Currently, the political bodies that are on uh, the mainstream media, they're not making our country sound like it's a very good country. Currently, they're not doing our country uh, very many favors when it comes to uh, showing confidence in our ability as a nation to lead the world. So that would be one of my primary goals to show that America actually does still have its strength in, in its ability to lead the, the world as a, as a primary uh, First Nation. Um, uh, I would also try to uh, put an end to the Ukrainian and Russian war by uh, going in and pushing a little more diplomacy rather than just pushing. Uh, weapons of war to that, to those nations. Um, and I, I, think, uh, trying to get the, both the political parties in our nation to at least speak to each other rather than going at each other's throat on a constant basis. I think those are the three primary things that would build more confidence in, in, in not just Americans here in our, in our nation, but around the world. Um, I think our, our nation has taken a lot of hits um, over the last decade or so, and uh, it's it's not making our nation look as, as good as it should, so to say.
2: Completely agree. Um, and with that being said, in regards to the common goods, um, the common good of our country and other countries in general, uh, what do you see are some of the major issues um, eroding the common good, and what would you do to combat these issues?
0: Right now, it seems to me, and this is just my own personal beliefs, but it seems to me that the corporate bodies of America have been taking too much money from outside of our nation. And this has given those nations uh, power to make decisions over our corporate bodies. In addition, we've seen a lot of infiltrations of, of our corporate bodies that have been Uh, influencing or have been influenced from outside foreign nations that may not necessarily be allies with us. Um, Some of those things definitely need to be addressed. And especially when it's some corporation that might have the ability to change in or influence a person's uh, uh, mind. And I'm not talking about uh, brainwashing or anything like that. I'm talking about just minor social influencing, um, social engineering, uh, and these are the kinds of things that you can see coming from both mainstream media and from social media. I mean, the whole Twitter thing that we just saw happen uh, over the last couple of weeks is, is pretty much a in-your-face uh, example of that.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of this entire movement comes down to trust, um, and there's not much of that, especially in the uh, around the interweb. Um, you know, so I think that's important. And on the issue of trust, when it comes to leadership, we all know how important it is to surround ourselves with people that we trust. Um, How would you do that as a leader? How would you make sure that the people that are in your inner circle are people that um, you can count on and aren't going to be those infiltrators and stab you in the back, like we're seeing nowadays in every facet of politics?
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> something that you do need to walk, uh, watch out for in the political sphere. Um, uh, here's the thing. I've, I've hired for the U.S. government now pretty much everywhere I've been. I've been a really good at finding talent to fit the niche uh, projects that I've been working with uh, in, let's say, for instance, the Department of Commerce. Um, we have to, uh, sometimes hire outside contractors and stuff like that. So it's very important that you do your due diligence and, and vetting their backgrounds and, uh, and, and, you know, determining what they have done in the past. So I, am I'm really good at ferreting out people who may or may not be a, a good fit for my team. That said, um, we do have a number of people who uh, uh, we are going to be bringing on uh, the team and they are uh, political pundits somewhat to say. And so there are some lobbying that has been going on already (laughs) on my end. And and so I have to be very careful about how uh, those individuals try to lobby me because they're, Decisions, or their lobbying—how uh, uh, um, do I say their their lobbying may not necessarily match up with mine or the team's uh, mission or goals. And so, at that point, I have to be very firm and tell them, "Hey, look, I, I hear you, but that's not where we're going."
2: Absolutely. And Jay, Jay, I've got to ask you—you've been around Eric in the political sphere in Washington. What kind of vibe are you getting around there, in terms of? Seeing someone new who is "quote unquote" irrelevant in that political atmosphere.
1: Well, it's it's a difficult. Uh, I've got a lot of thick skin because as I come as I come to people the first time, um, naturally uh, people are ingrained to think that they should only accept someone who's a celebrity or somebody that's uh, actually from uh, the corrupted uh, political politocrats, you know, establishment, um, if you will, within politics. So, you know, I get, I get laughed at. I get, uh, oh, never heard of him, um, things like that. Then the second time around, or once they hear Eric speak, um, things become much more serious and we start to make headway. And I've been seeing that um, in many different uh, Republican bodies that I've lobbied, you um, one interesting story is he spoke um, in Kitsap County. That's his home county in Washington State, and actually got some hoots and some hollering uh, from the crowd. People were genuinely excited about what he was saying and his message. So, from my standpoint, it's it's more of breaking through that initial um, that initial uh brand um disbursement that i make and then hitting people up the second and third time and generally i've found that their ears are open um and their minds are open that second and third time
2: very cool so baby steps making progress um i'm seeing kind of the same thing i'm I'm not um there yet um in Washington with you guys and haven't seen what's going on there but here Uh, in the Midwest, you know, I I feel like there's a curiosity um, that's going around, and people are looking for something just new, right? We've been doing the same thing over and over for so long, and we're not getting anywhere with it. So I think at this point, you know, we don't have any time to waste. And when we see an opportunity to do something that's genuinely grassroots, um, I think that's where we all need to hop on board in terms of putting our energy into it. um, Because, It's a long road to 2024, but on the other hand, it's a very short road as well.
1: And and not to mention that, but to piggyback on what you're saying is uh, for a long time, we've heard frustration over... Um, octogenarians or people that are approaching octogenarian status as leading our country and they're out of touch they're just out of touch and Eric is 55 years old um, and he uh, I think I came up with the phrase I want a president that can encrypt a document and birth a goat and uh, that is Eric Uh, and he's uh, 55 Gen X um, very much connected to the um, older uh, body Uh, in the politics and the younger generation as well. Uh, He and I have uh, children around the same age, um, so he's very much connected to the old and the young by being right there in the middle. And so many people have thirsted for that. Um, I really think that that's an advantage he has um, in the fact that he's experienced so much um, at such a young age that he brings that experience uh, with him Um, in his uh, seeking nomination.
2: Awesome, and that brings me to the question of the younger generation, um, which I was gonna get to next, Uh, but I have a statement first. Um, People are becoming more like robots and robots are becoming more like humans. What do you think about that statement and where do you think the future of AI is heading? The younger generation is curious.
0: That's a really good question, uh, Jay and I, I. Jay and I actually talked about this just today. Um, we were talking about uh, Barry Weiss's interview with Joe Rogan and how she, uh, Joe, had asked her something and she had responded to him, and he was like, "No, you're you're wrong," and she was like, "No, I'm I'm right," and he was like, "No, no, you're wrong," and. I know you're wrong. And so she immediately jumped onto her phone and went to Google and tried to find it. And uh, sure enough, uh, she couldn't find it. But it just goes to show that even one of the smartest lawyers slash journalists in politics, Barry Weiss, uh, you know, and she Uh, is attached to her phone and she's attached to Google and she's attached to her AI and her brain needs that to satisfy her knowledge base. And uh, um, this is going to, unfortunately in the future, going to uh, destroy critical thinking for Americans. And uh, if, if everybody is, I mean, it's bad enough that we're reliant on our, our cell phone and Google, um, to get all our answers for us um, but you know if we get too used to that AI pill um, you know we may not be able to make any of our own decisions in the future.
2: Yeah it's it's sad and I don't think that the generations that didn't grow up without uh, the internet and the cell phone in their hand are just not understanding the severity of where this could be going. Now of course it it's all in whose whose hands is this technology in, right? Um, I'm not the most privy on technology, but um, I would think that that would have to to be a factor in it, yes.
0: Correct. Yeah, and then also you have some other issues like uh, the deep fakes um, that are currently happening. Uh, I can I can have my AI draw me a picture of Shaq O'Neill and almost make it look like he's. Realistic. And you would never even tell the difference between a photo that was taken in 1976 on the basketball court versus one that I just had my AI paint for me.
1: And also, MJ, if, if I could just interrupt really quick something um, along the lines of his answer that we just lived through when he talks about going to Google, um, it also offers uh, manipulation to enter in, um, whatever you want to say, nefarious hands or positive hands, manipulation within the public space for information um, is not good. And just look at the COVID and how we had um, the official government stance uh, become this uh, ram down our throat. And to his point of how you go to Google, and if Google is only offering the official government stance, it really Um, shuts down debate and what science is all about. And rigorous science is always about testing and um, debating and seeking um, answers. And instead, it was just shoved down our throats of what one line of thinking was that was the official government stance. And I think that that's an uh, attribute of um, what he's talking about in terms of um, AI and Google dominating our lives for information.
2: Right, and is that, and I was, maybe it goes into the next question, which was about the Internet Bill of Rights, um, and you kind of just discussed how important that is, is how important is the regulation of the Internet, and do you have a stand on the Internet Bill of Rights?
0: I do. I'm all for the Internet Bill of Rights. Um, I, I, I think that the Internet was designed as a uh, a purposeful thing where it was basically just supposed to be a library that you could go into and, and check out the information that you needed, not necessarily a, a, a one-stop kiosk that Google, you know, gives you the answer for every time you go up to it. Um, you know, there's supposed to be some research in the amount of research that you're actually doing. Um, but, uh, how important is the Internet Bill of Rights? Well, the Internet Bill of Rights is is just a a vehicle to ensure that we stay safe on the internet, and that your data doesn't get stolen, um, and that the you know when you do go onto the internet that you're not being tracked, um, that you don't have. Uh, socially engineering bots trying to get you to buy their products or to uh, follow their social media influencer or uh, basically trying to give the internet back to you, the person, uh, rather than having it uh, served to you as a product. Very good.
2: Very good. Jay, um, do you have anything else on AI or technology? Um, Otherwise, I'll move on to the next subject.
1: I do, actually. uh, I was surprised. listening to his bio when he was discussing um, his experience, and he gave the quick bio in the beginning, um, that he didn't mention AI, um, and he has talked about his participation in open AI. So I was um, curious how he views that. Um, Is it a hobby? Is it a passion? Is it a work requirement? And if he could discuss his own personal um, work within the field of AI, I think that would be great.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you're going to help me here. So, yes, I do. I, I actually do develop AI. Um, I was working with the OpenAI project for a little bit. Um, I was given a, a, a piece of code that I added a bit of my extra piece of code to it. And uh, I have a little AI in a sandbox. Um, his name is Hal. And part, part of my DJ Shadow Mine uh, moniker is based off of that AI. So um, I don't know if a, a, a lot of your fans know my um, music genre, but basically it's techno. Um, and my uh, alien AI DJ, he basically is the one who's doing all the singing and stuff like that. So it's all it's all generated through AI, um, ChatGPT, and um, the songs are generated by the AI. The 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 music notes are not generated by the AI. I haven't been able to get that down pat yet, but uh, we're getting close. Um, and yeah, Can I just so throw something
2: in here really. Can I throw something? Sure. In here really quick? Sure. Um, I just had one of those flashbacks because I've sort of, you know, I'm one of those people that I watch a lot of things. I just sort of look, and there's someone in this chat. Um, Spirit of Amitos, who did a video a long time ago on that, and I believe at the time he said it was his impression or he believed or he understood that to be the case, that it seemed like it was an AI-generated, you know, thing. So, you know, kudos to you, Spirit, because I remember you doing your thing on that and confirmed so that's pretty cool actually because there's a lot of people that really are enjoying that kind of music and especially the younger kids um and then actually how it's made that's actually very fascinating
0: yeah and so i i kind of went on this that particular trip um uh, developing the ai uh because i i i i do have it's not a fear of ai but i do have a a feeling that it is going to be a, a a a double-edged sword for humanity you know whilst we will become more creative as a species uh, using ai especially in the way that i have um same time it does take creativity away from humanity at the same time so uh, say for instance uh my ai character was to get super famous and popular um It may take away from somebody else who actually truly is um, talented and and actually can do uh, those particular things that the AI did itself. Um, And these are the kinds of things that we we should think about in the future. Um, Are we going to start giving Nobel Prizes to, you know, so-and-so's AI uh, because it found a new way of dealing with a crisis or are we going to let a human do that?
2: That's a, good, that's a good question. I was just picturing the, while you were saying that, I was picturing those. Um, it's probably in a kid's movie, I'm guessing that I was watching it, you know, like remote, remote controlled, you know, monster cars that they kind of battle each other. And, you know, uh, I think that it's cool to have competition like that in certain different realms, right? Technology and, and all of that. Um, but when it comes to a robot taking away from a human, that's sort of where society needs to figure out where we have to draw that line. Um, and that's, that's the long road and that's, uh, that's, a hard bridge to cross.
1: The the challenge of our times, isn't it? Uh, Eric, you mentioned that you, you named your AI how, uh, any particular reason why you named your AI how?
0: Well, I mean, of course, space odyssey. <laughs> I mean, uh, the more I, I, uh, train it, um, I, I try to make sure that it's um, has a little bit of a, 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 a moral and ethic built into it as well. Um, I, the only reason why I call it house is I—it's just to make sure that I remind myself on a constant basis that it could actually get out of control and, you know, get out of the box at some point. Yeah, it's
2: it's fascinating what you can do. I mean, but again, those of us. Um, who are not techno- technologically savvy, um, you know, we still have a lot to learn uh, when it comes to that. So um, I think it's also important to realize, you know, we're, we're talking about some fun things here too, but having a president, someone who leads the country that's knowledgeable in things that are um, gonna be prevalent issues in our future is, is very important as well. Um, so I have a question sort of, going into that is, is—is have you created or done anything with that knowledge having to do with AI thus far in your career leading up to your presidential run um, that's actually helped uh, humanity in any kind of way?
0: Good question. Um, I actually did do a decision support system uh, when I was working for the Department of Defense in the Mojave Desert. Um, it was a very, very rudimentary AI. Uh, basically, uh, if then, this. Uh, database. And that, that decision support system allowed our federal managers to uh, designate certain monies to environmental programs or to uh, other types of military programs in the desert. And uh, it actually does, uh, those those kinds of AI decisions can help the federal government save money or put money in the correct spots. And so uh, the limited AI is actually potentially a, a, a good thing for for our government.
2: Okay, good. Um, and I'll go ahead and just save um, any other AI questions for anybody um, who's here that has any regarding that subject. So I'll move on with that so we can just sort of keep the subject matter going. Um, and I'm gonna go on to education. Um, let's see. No, I'm, not. I'm going to go into um, safety and law enforcement. Uh, do you have a plan to address racial disparities in policing in law enforcement agencies, and how will you hold them accountable for their misconduct? Um, I know you know there's so many concerns in rural and urban areas, um, and crime is rate is just racing and surging forward um, at a terribly alarming rate. So this issue is definitely at the forefront for a lot of uh, parents, um, business owners. Uh, it's been a long couple of
0: road for, for us and we don't wanna see things getting any worse. Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to tackle, especially as a president. Um, you know, the president really only has the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation uh, at their disposal. And so a lot of these things that are going on are actually local and state-based issues. Um, I During the... Uh, during the COVID lockdown, of course, we all saw what was going on in the individual capitals around the, the states, where we had uh, protests that led to uh, burning of flags and stuff like that. You know, those, those protests, um, because they had not gone across state lines, they were, they were a state issue and a, and a local issue, and law enforcement was supposed to take care of that at those at those levels. When things start going across state lines, that's when the FBI gets involved and and stuff like that. Now, I I uh, have seen where there was uh, definitely a partisanship that was going on, um, uh, political partisanship that was going on in the FBI, where those law enforcement agents uh, did not do something about uh, certain types of political uh, um political protests that was going on at certain capitals, whereas um, they were very focused on political uh, uh, protests that was going on at our D.C. Capitol. And so uh, I, um, as president, would definitely get in there and ensure that uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice understands that there are uh, moral and ethical um, vows that they made uh, towards the Constitution, and that they are supposed to utilize their positions of power that is appropriate to uh, to the Constitution in the United States, and uh, and I will be very forceful about that.
2: Jay, do you have follow up questions on that? Just because we're on the subject, um, I mean, we know that we know that this, you know, there's there's an issue that's going on in society. Um, there's a culture of fatherless families, right? And um, in the big picture, you know, leading to broken families, which bleeds into society. Um, What effect does this have on lower income communities? And do you think that this is a problem? Um, And it just sort of bleeds into the safety thing. So I'll just follow up with that really quick.
0: Uh, Yes and no. Um, So I I am a fatherless uh, son. Um, I never knew my father, and uh, uh, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, It was hard not having a father figure in my life. However, I did have a grandfather, and my grandfather and my grandmother raised me up until I was uh, 13. And uh, it was very beneficial having my grandfather in my life at that early age. So, yes, I, I, I do agree. Uh, the culture of, uh, you know, single families, fatherless, um, uh, families is, is a problem. Um, is it something that we can, uh, address easily as a nation? Um, yes, I, I, I think the, uh, that when, uh, poverty stricken, um, families are, are not given, uh, the right information or the right knowledge or the right pathway to bring themselves to a place where they can actually um, you know, uh, provide for themselves. Uh, a lot of young individuals will look for other avenues that may not necessarily be uh, correct and uh, they may you know break the law here and there. And, and once that's done, a number of times, and they've found that they get away with a few things, um, then they tend to continue to do that. Um, so there's there's a couple of things that are going on. You've got a culture of fast money, um, and then you've got a culture of uh, poverty, where the politicians at the local um, and state areas don't actually do anything about that, that uh, urban or suburban areas and that just has been continuing to go on for decades upon decades. So uh, uh, it, it is yeah, it's a tough situation to 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 think about how you would deal about how you would deal with that since it's well, been it's going on for such norm. a long time. It's, right. it's yeah, become the
2: norm I mean it's become the norm now and it's it's kind acceptable to just watch these people walk out the door, you know, these these um, business owners who've been working their whole lives for these businesses and you know you're seeing that, yeah, I'm not bringing up any issues but you see Ashley Babich when they're getting arrested day walking today and I don't know the story behind that I don't know if those things or they're real or whatever the case is but the point being is that you're still seeing you know people even fight these um, small possession cases for marijuana you're seeing people fight things like you know fighting all these things but people are burning down buildings and they're getting away with it Governors and mayors are just letting these cities go to, to shit, and it's disappointing. It needs to be
1: fixed. I, I think well, the, there is. I I think the question might be: Is there is there a federal tool um, that you can think of or that you envision um, that can help uh, or um, cajole states into um, enforcing their laws?
0: You know, um, yes and no. I mean, we we did see it during the COVID lockdown in 2020. When let, let's take Portland as an example, for instance, when you had Antifa in Portland burning Portland down to the ground. the The mayor of Portland is actually the chief of police as well. And so, again, this uh, this is states' rights issues. Um, the the mayor was in his right to not actually ask the, the federal police to come in and help their situation out. Um, So yes and no. I mean, the federal government can't actually raffle stomp on a state and say, Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to take care of your problem because you don't want to. Um, Because again, that's going against state rights. And so, yeah, I mean it. it, it it's really going to take the people who are uh, voters to to vote that kind of a mayor out. And so, I yes and no. I mean, there is things that the federal government can do, but at the same time, the federal government it, it's 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 got a uh, with it's got to uphold the state rights of the states that it's it's managing as well.
2: Right, and it starts in our own backyards. Right. It it starts in our smaller communities. It smart, starts starts with our neighbors in our in our um, counties, and um, it goes you know up and down that that ladder. And we all have to work together. Um, so I'm going to move on to the next question, and it uh, kind of goes back to the younger generation, uh, but is affecting uh, business owners as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on higher minimum wages, and how will it affect employment opportunities in the future?
0: Wow. You know this this is like the one thing that I, uh, yeah, I, I don't like raising minimum wage because every time you raise the minimum wage, it will never come back down. And, and when that happens, um, your, your grandparents lose value in their social security. So they, when they were working at, at, at their, Uh, 20s and 30s, you know, they were only making two, $3 an hour. And so when they put into the social security fund, um, they're only going to get roughly an equivalent amount out. So, you know, my my mom is in her late 70s. You know, her social security check is uh, probably what a teenager would make at one day at McDonald's right now. So, You continue to increase the minimum wage and the social security, um, for your parents and your grandparents goes to nothing. And that's going to be you in 50 years. Uh, when, you know, 50 years from now, minimum wage is $170 and you're only making $17 an hour. Now you're not going to be able to survive in the future. So, and That's just like the big overarching thing, looking at it from a federal standpoint. But looking at it from a local standpoint, um, you know, people like Jay, he's got to pay uh, uh, his staff to, to work at his business. Um, but then he's got to increase the prices of his goods in order to pay for his staff. And when you increase the price of the goods, you're just increasing inflation. And so you're just getting this, this perpetual uh, snowball of uh, of inflation by doing that, and so if we want to come out of an inflationary period as a nation, we should not increase minimum wage.
2: Right, and it's also um, you know, sort of making going to college and getting these degrees sort of more obsolete because you know the people working you know um, at used to be minimum wage wage jobs are now making $15, $16 an hour. And, you know, I don't remember, you know, when I got out of college, it it was good to make that after graduating with a degree, you know? And so, you know, being a business owner myself, you know, we just, we had to just keep paying people. Well, people expect to be paid more, right? We don't have to keep paying, doing anything, but people expect to be paid more and, you know, um, work a little bit less. So that's frustrating. Um, So yeah. Um, uh, um, Jay, do you have any questions yeah,
0: on that? Be... Oh, go ahead. It, it would be nice to be able to get our our inflation back into some normality so that the pressure on the business, uh, small businesses especially, aren't uh, being pressured to increase wages like they are. Um, and again, it's like a snowball. Once you start, it you can't stop.
2: Agreed. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just tell everybody to start thinking about some questions that you might have at this point, because we have about 20 minutes to go. And I know there's, you know, probably a million and I'm just sort of picking, picking, choosing here as we go along. Um, And feel free to add anything, Eric and Jay, as we, as we continue. Um, I want to go ahead and just talk really quick about um, just the the subject of school choice. Um, I was sort of tasked with exploring that and seeing what the opportunities are across the nation in terms of school choice for children. Uh, What are your views on that?
0: I think school of choice is great, Um, especially I I like the charter school system. Uh, I think giving charter school vouchers to families who are uh, uh, having a hard time with um, education in their particular district is a fantastic idea. Uh, charter schools especially depending on the type of charter school it is uh, they typically tend to be a better um, teaching system not necessarily better education but a a way of teaching tends to be uh, different and uh, in a way that a lot of kids appreciate their teachers much better than than typical teaching well
2: right and we want our kids to explore those things right I mean we want them to correct yeah that they're good at and these public schools um you know as great as you know people might think they are. They're just sort of handcuffing and inhibiting kids to be exploring other things. And school choice is an opportunity um, for parents to choose uh, where they think is the best opportunity to, or for their own children. And not everybody can afford. There are choices, but they're expensive choices. And, Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not for everyone. And so the understanding is it's going to take away funding from public schools it's not, these These are these, these programs are funded by businesses and individual people um, and it's not taken away from the public school,
3: in my opinion. You're, you're
0: absolutely correct. Um, there's also uh, federal um, mechanisms that allow states to recover funds that would have been taken away uh, because they had a kid that went to a charter school versus a public school. So the, the federal government can uh, make up the difference as well.
2: Right, and um, you know there are parents out there. They are working hard. Um, you know they're working two jobs right now to put their kids into these schools, um, just to get them out of public schools. You know, and so, um, you know, we just have to make sure that um, all of our children around the nation have the same opportunities. It's not. It's not uh, right that you could literally live across the street in one neighborhood, and you know you could have window air conditioning that's broken half of the summer, and you know two black across the street, you know, it's, it's, it's fancy schmancy. So, you know, we have to sort of uh, make it fair for everyone. I agree. Okay. Um, Jay, can you please take over for just a moment?
1: Oh, absolutely. I am right here always for you, MJ, and I appreciate you always being there for me. Uh, it sounds like we're uh, we're going to open it up to questions from the floor. Um, while everybody, uh, if you want to raise your hand and have a question, please uh, do so, and we will put you right in line. I'll try to keep track of um, who's first and second. If I don't do a good job, uh, please understand I'm trying to participate and keep track of things at the same time. Um, Eric, I don't mean to harp on the AI issue. It's something that fascinates me. I know that um, a mega mega popular person like Elon Musk, who um, is definitely... um entrenched in the AI field, um, has talked about the dangers of AI to humanity, and I know you and I have discussed that as well. Uh, one thing that didn't come up in our conversation about your personal um, passion within AI is what you would want to implement, and could you exp- could you please explain to me, uh, c- explain to the audience um, what the danger of AI is and what you would do Um, to um, safeguard these dangers that you foresee?
0: Well, one of the primary things I want to do is create an international treaty for AI, um, get together with all of the uh, nations of the world, and sign a a treaty document that would basically establish a framework for ensuring that AI doesn't get developed beyond a, a scope of sentience. And and to ensure that it just uh, is created as a decision support tool versus a uh, uh, a tool that functions as a a means of uh, governance or or some kind of uh, being, so to say. I feel like one of the last things we want to see in in our future is to have a a computer AI suddenly become the president of the United States of America. I um, would bring tools, however, to the presidency, to the White House, that would allow us to make rudimentary decisions, um, like how to... Uh, cost save on contracting from the government accounting office to, say, for instance, the Department of Defense. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy in between those contract vehicles, and it costs a lot of extra money and overhead. And I think that's the, the way we could save a lot of money is by using uh, uh, AI to do that kind of stuff
1: for us. And I I think that um, one of the major uh, dangers um, is utilizing AI uh, within a military sense. Uh, Isn't that the concern? For certain. Yes, for certain. All right. Well, it looks like um, Luke has got his hands up for a question. So I'm going to unmute Luke and allow him to ask. Here you go, Luke. Obviously, one of
4: the big topics right now you know major problem is the border um i just wondered if you would wax on about that for a minute what would you do to help control the the flow of illegal immigrants coming into our country and you know essentially taking all the low pay low low wage jobs um it's i see that as a major problem all the fentanyl coming in uh do you have any solutions regarding that Hey, Luke. Yeah, absolutely I do.
0: Um, so one of the main things that I did when I was in the Air Force, I did uh, base operations and uh, basically base services to build up entire giant communities. So one of the very first thing I would do is uh, get get a hold of each of the states that have uh, uh, a border crisis problem, say, for instance, Texas. Um, go, to the, go to the governor of Texas, say, you know, Governor Abbott, hey, look, Um, let's do a, let's do a national guard training exercise in your state, but this training exercise actually is not going to be a training exercise. This is actually going to be a real world exercise. We're going to take your guys. We're going to have them build bases. We're going to house, clothe and feed shelter. All of the immigrants that are coming across your border. We're going to, we're going to vet them. We're going to process them. And either they're going to go back over to where they came from, from their port of origin, or we're going to process them and give them the Title 42. And, uh, and at that point, we can uh, bring in some homeless, no- homeless folks, too, and we can get them some training to help process some of these people, give them a job, uh, give them a place to stay. Uh, it's, and we do this for each state. And it would be minimal cost. And it will be maximum security.
1: And if I'm not mistaken, this plays right into direct experience you have um, in the fact that you designed and implemented forward operating bases and refugee camps um, in Iraq for uh, Kurdish refugees. Is that correct?
0: Correct. Yeah, we did that all within a year or two. So we could we could implement this plan fairly fast and we could get a lot of good ground off of it as well.
1: Uh, thanks, Luke, for that very important question. Um, does anybody else have a question that they would like to ask Mr. Berner?
2: I don't see any hands raised yet, so I'll just throw in um, a couple of people that asked about Ukraine. Since I see, Actually, I, I'll save that. I'm going to put that one in your head. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and call on the next hand that I saw. I saw Jim and then I saw Spirit go up. So I'm going to go ahead and allow Jim M. to speak. You have to unmute
1: yourself, Jim. I actually met Jim uh, when I traveled across the country and I visited MJ. Um, He's a very good friend of Emily and a really stand-up great guy, great handshake. Really liked him. Jim, we'd love to hear your question. Be sure to unmute your mic. And you've got full capabilities, my guy.
5: Holy cow, I already asked the question. I guess I'll answer it again. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I guess my question is, um, open AI is, uh, is, is fun, you know, with some apps that they have. So what I was wondering is, you know, besides developing pictures and things, um, do you know any other open source stuff that's open to the public that you'd recommend?
0: Uh, open source stuff huh uh, gosh um, I, not necessarily open source but there are a couple of other projects that are out there Google's own lambda project is pretty good um, they're they're competing head-to-head with the with the open GPT um, there is another AI I believe that is Uh, chinese base, and I want to call them Wombo, Um, that is potentially uh, uh, going to be another uh, competitor for the OpenAI and and the Lambda project. And then, of course, you have Elon with his Tesla uh, AI. Um, As far as the mainstream stuff, goes that's about all the stuff that's out there that you can get access to now there's a lot of not so mainstream stuff out there um if you go uh i use i use this thing called github it's where a lot of the coders put their uh, code at and if you just roll through there you'll find uh no end of uh of ai projects that are going on in there and there's plenty of them. I mean, there's lots and lots of AI projects on on GitHub. And that is one of the concerning things is that anybody can download it and start implementing their own neural net in there. Oh, wow, that's pretty crazy. Um,
5: So you could even just be like taking somebody else's project start it on your own and then be developing it. And then that would get out of control.
0: Is that kind of how you're explaining that? Yeah, yeah. It depends on what you're actually doing with the with the code. So, like, if you're just developing a chat AI, or if you're developing a, a photo manipulation AI, I mean, those are pretty rudimentary. There's not the, nothing really there to worry about. Um, it's more of the ones that are doing decision supports and stuff like that, where they've got access to a big giant uh, big data set. Uh, say, for instance, if I was able to uh, take uh, an AI and leverage, I don't know, all of Microsoft's uh, big data data set on it, I could come up with some crazy answers to some serious questions with that.
1: Okay, let's go to uh, Spirit of Admitos, who has his hand up. Uh, Spirit, go ahead. You've got full control to ask a question.
4: All right. Hey, hey, Eric, um, how are you doing? Hi, Spirit. How's it going? Doing great. Um, so I think, uh, first of all, I just wanted to say, I think it's, uh, it's very uh, bold of you to come direct and uh, you know open yourself up to questions from the audience, but that is what we need in, like, in a future leader of the country. So I'm really glad and grateful you decided to do that. Um, my first question is really a follow-up of Luke's question concerning the border. Um, basically, uh, so with the perspective of, Uh, you know, Trump's plan to build a wall and the remain in Mexico policy, uh, versus the concept of doing amnesties periodically. Do you have like a particular position, like as far as accepting a number of illegal immigrants versus trying to build a wall to exclude people who aren't supposed to be coming in legally from coming in?
0: Um, you know, I don't like numbers because, uh, I, I don't know the number of individuals we have in the States that, uh, might uh be able to come in like i don't I, i'm not exactly sure of like how much we could handle uh, uh, as a as a refugee crisis for instance i don't have access to that data however mm-hmm. um the uh the idea of just Building a wall and stopping everybody and leaving them in Mexico—it's uh, it, not a good one for our nation either. Because you know we have, we do have economic market sectors in our country that do require uh, migrant workers from Mexico and and South America. If, say for instance, all of our farms and stuff like that traditionally have been uh, picked by migrant workers. They they come for the spring and summer, they go home for the winter. Um, and, and and that particular pro, uh, pro program needs to continue I think uh, a lot of our uh, uh, produce makers are going out of business here in the states and a lot of our uh, grocery stores and outlets are getting all of their produce from South America and uh, um, and on top of that a lot of our farmlands are getting, Uh, purchased by China so we have a lot of foreign investments that's coming in and buying our farmland too and they're shipping that product over to uh, China so a lot of soybeans are going over to China from the Chinese farmers here so uh, we definitely need to uh, get our immigration reformed so that we can get our farmlands back in order so that we can actually bring our migrants back into the country Um, however, we're in this really strange time right now where, uh, we have a war over in Ukraine and Russia. Um, we've had a lot of, uh, angst with Venezuela in the past. And a lot of these, uh, individuals who are coming through our border are actually Venezuelans. And, um, I think those particular individuals need to be vetted a little bit. Uh, more regular, rigorously than your typical uh, Mexican migrant coming back and forth uh, to do uh, migrant work. So I, yes, okay. uh, don't stop the uh, 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 don't stop the migrant uh, working pop uh, policy that we have in place. Um, I think we actually need to rebuild that and reinforce it again. Um, but at the same time, we don't need streams and streams of millions of people coming into our country illegally either. So
4: I see. So philosophically speaking, uh, are you in agreement with, uh, the Trump paradigm of building the wall or are you, are you unsure?
0: I am, uh, in agreement with not having the free flow of humans across the Rio Grande, um, It's not a good situation for them. It's not a good situation for us. We're spending a a bunch of money that we shouldn't need to be spending. And, uh, and the migrants are losing lives that they shouldn't be losing. Um, I, I I think that there's a better way for us to actually process, uh, migrant workers and it doesn't require us building a, a full wall. Um, but I do think that we need to secure the borders so that, um, like, for instance, Texas and, and Governor Abbott isn't uh, having to spend all of his time uh, at the border checking every single truck that's coming through for migrants and stuff like that. So there, there's a there's a better way to handle this for certain than it currently is being done. And and I don't believe just having a full 50-foot wall uh, just to impress the populace is, isn't the way either.
1: I believe you've expressed to me that... Um that with our modern technology, um, that we, we can have almost a digital wall and surveillance system um, to protect to see who's coming in and where. And then I'd also like to make a point that this is such a complex issue as we were talking about one of the solutions being a refugee um, camp scenario where we keep the problem in one location until we can sort and sift. And we multitask that with then also giving a hand up, a lift up to people that may be um, down and out with a houseless crisis. In the same vein, holistically, um, we need to help make our neighbors strong so that we don't have this flow of um, migrants coming up north, um, so that, you know, we we can help strengthen um the Structures within our neighbors' countries. Uh, for example, we've sent how many billions? How many billions beyond 55 billion um, to Ukraine in that effort? Whereas, you know, a lot of Americans always point out what that money could be done at home. We'll also think about what a portion of that money or that money could be done to strengthen our neighbors' countries so that we stem the root cause of this migrant crisis.
0: Yeah, and also, um, yeah, just piggybacking off of what Jay said, um, we need to help out Mexico uh, with this cartel problem. And it doesn't mean going to war with the cartels either. Um, there's ways of dealing with that issue in Mexico as well that doesn't actually get into uh, uh, a scuffle with Mexico. Um Mexico and America has had a, a pretty good, long-standing, good relationship with trade and and economic agreements. There's no reason why we can't uh, sort this out between our nations as well. And same with Canada. Canada's the 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 um, the Asian side of our, our problem. You know, we have a lot of Cambodians, Laos, Mun um, Chinese coming in from the northern borders as well. So we need to uh, uh, stop that inflow of human trafficking coming in from the northern states, too. So it's, it's a multi-pronged approach, and we need to both deal with it at the, uh, directly on the border, but also inside the nations that are sponsoring the inflow of people.
1: And that's, that's one of the things we want to bring as a campaign. Uh, so often we've seen these decades of issues used as political rhetoric to get votes and to polarize the populace. Um, Eric is seeking solutions to these problems and presenting um, tangible solutions to these problems so that we can move forward and beyond the political rhetoric. Um, Jeff, I see your um, hand up. Let's get to you, sir. I am un- unmuting you You go right ahead
3: good evening everyone thank you uh eric for a very interesting discussion tonight uh and to emily for hosting uh i'm over in illinois i think most of you know who i am uh Eric, you know, coming off of the all this border discussion, uh, you know, something that I uh, struggle with in my own career. Uh, but uh, I, I saw Twitter the other day uh, when Musk came in and he fired, you know, 30, 3,500 people or I think some number like that. And it, they all seem to be Indian. And I heard today, or I read today somewhere, that all of the censorship uh, that uh, uh was being, they were censoring, like Peter McCullough, uh, the most published uh, doctor in the world, uh, and it was outsourced to the Philippines. But you know that that that's the Philippines, but the point being h1b visas uh, because all these people are coming here on h1b visas and in my own world the universities are uh i couldn't even start to think the number it's it's humongous Uh, they own the universities you know i should i should say they have a huge influence so and it goes to voting, too, actually, because I, I was reading that uh, 35 to 1 uh, at the lowest to 150 to 1, at uh, the highest uh, measurement, was uh, voting for Hillary and Trump uh, <laughs> from professors. So literally 150 professors voted Hillary for my one Trump. So... I'd like to know, you know, if you have any ideas on how to, how to, it's kind of a two part question, how to deal with that. Uh, We are a melting pot, but I, I almost wonder if we need to close our borders as we've done in the past uh, for 20 years, you know, Uh, that's just a question, you know, I ponder. Uh, So how to manage, number one, that. H one B stuff, uh, and then secondly, in history, uh, the U.S. government was historically funded uh, via uh, tariffs. <laughs> and you heard uh, everybody going ape shit when uh, Trump used uh, brought in tariffs. Because it's the free market gang from Chicago that go to war, you know, the University of Chicago. It's the Milton Friedmans who, you know, I respect all this, but, you know, they, they tend to like war and, and these things. So it's, it's being globalist, you know, is what it is at the end of the day when you're uh, uh, free market, pure freedom—you know, with the World Trade Organization, et cetera. So, you got any thoughts on on that too? I, I guess my question would be not specifically tariffs, but rather uh, uh, more broadly uh, economic nationalism. So, thank you very much. Your AI stuff's fascinating. I don't know anything about it, so so nice to hear from you.
0: Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so about economic reform and trade, trade agreements and tariffs and stuff like that, I I believe that America needs to get back into uh, bolstering its trade uh, to different continents, not just sending it over to the the, the Asian Pacific nations, but uh, we need to engage in trade with the African continent, and we need to push our trade. Uh, back over to the Asian continent, but in in a reverse role. Not so much where we are actually having them do all of our uh, um, production, but more or less they're doing the purchasing from us. We need to bring America's "Made in USA" uh, label as being a quality again, and show the world that that our products are actually you know. Made to build for a long time, not just for a short period of time, like most of the products that are coming over from China. Um, and at that and at that point, then we can actually start charging uh, a, a premium for the products that we're pushing out to the world, which is traditionally how we have operated in the past, where uh, American- made products are typically, uh, known to be the best on uh, whatever situation that you're using them for. Um, trade tariffs, uh, economic-wise, it, it does help in, uh, in ensuring that there the differences between um, uh, fiat currency is met, and, and I think that's a, another thing that we need to address as a nation is how we deal with our our fractional reserve fiat currency Um, at some point we need to bring the the disparaged value of our dollar back into line with normality and and have some kind of basis that we can set our uh fundamentals on right now uh, it's highly based off of petrol and, uh, and and the petrol market is all over the world currently. We're getting petrol in from uh, Venezuela right now. And the, I believe that the the trade tariff on that is actually quite high uh, on our side. We're paying quite a bit more than we normally should to uh, to get that oil to come in from Venezuela. And that's a Joe Biden thing. Um, but... I think in the future, our our value of our currency uh, is going to need to slide over from petrol to something more of a digital uh, uh, digital mark of some kind. Um, I believe in the future we're going to see uh, uh, petrol decline in, as a as a commodity, not necessarily go away, but decline as a primary commodity. Uh, I believe we're going to see some uh, fusion in our future, Uh, and that fusion is going to be super cheap and super uh, clean, and uh, that is going to uh, make the ability for our manufacturing base to be able to produce high-quality products at a much cheaper rate. Um, And that then will, again, going back to your trade tariff part, Will allow us to increase our tariffs uh, uh, and, and and increase the amount of cash uh, flow that's coming into our economic gain through those tariffs because of the the uh, the quality of the products that are going to be pushed out from the United States in the future. Um, I know it's a really long winded, and I probably didn't answer it, anything that you just asked, but. Um as far as economic policy goes, uh, I see America just now about to go into its uh, golden era. And uh, I think with the right president at the helm of the ship, uh, we can steer us into a position where we could stay the dominant uh, economic power and power structure uh, going forward for the next 50, 60 years or so.
2: I'm so glad you said that. We definitely Need some positivity and golden hour sounds amazing to me. Uh, thank you for answering that. I'm going to go ahead and unmute Matt M and let him ask his question. Go ahead, Matt.
6: Hey, thank you. Hey, Eric. Um, you know, we appreciate you being here. Thank you, MJ and Jay, for hosting this. And uh, you kind of hit on a lot of the points that I was going to.
2: We lost, yeah.
1: Uh oh, I think. I think he might hear me now. Yeah, there, there you go, Matt. Go, go right ahead, sir. I think
6: my finger might have slipped off the butt. Uh, I would just my main question. You kind of hit on, and I'll just say I'm down here in Southeast Louisiana, and what we're seeing down here, and also all over the place, is a real monopolization of our oil and gas market. And you know, this ties into the petrol dollar and all. Uh, my my question is kind of two pronged. For one you mentioned that we might move over into a digital currency type uh instead of like fiat and i would ask you know if what do you see as gold and silver or something with more historical value as a commodity being used to kind of reset our our economy and also is there any way that we can from a federal level really ensure that the chinese and our
1: lost again Oh no I think he completely dropped out there and I think he had a really uh, good question Matt uh are you back uh you left off with um Chinese and I think you were saying Iran Matt we're right here if you want to finish your question if you want to unmute
2: yeah we got the first question we just
1: need a okay second he, one. he he dropped out so go ahead Eric he was uh, talking in uh, when you say digital currency it does uh raise some flags with people um can you remember his uh his question that he had
0: yes I can um so I don't really want to answer while he's not here but i'll'll I'll go slow and he's
2: back beat
0: around I'll beat around the bush okay all right so hey, Eric, uh, can you hear me yeah there
6: you are Yeah, sorry about that. Let me me just try to finish, I guess. I'm sorry. I apologize. I've got Starlink down here and we've got kind of some weather, but so they're they're building this huge LNG plant up here and the city council has given these guys, it's all funded by the Bank of China through all these shell companies. They're not paying property taxes on this stuff for 10 years. They're going to be pumping natural gas out of here, giving us a little bit of sales tax per barrel. And we see this happening all over the country, whether it's farmland energy or just the Chinese devaluing their currency. I mean, what can be done to shore up these things that are critical infrastructure that these enemies and adversaries can't just encroach on our resources anymore? And um, I don't know how much you heard about, you know, your your outlook for precious metals and uh, as another type of shoring up of our reserve currencies but yeah if you could just try to i'm sorry again for cutting out but thank you again eric
0: hey no worries no worries um so here here's a here's a a little thing for you it does kind of suck that we're seeing a lot of um, uh lands being bought up by foreign nations especially the chinese um one of my particular concerns is the farmlands being bought up by the Chinese. Um, and the reason why it's not particularly because you know I'm upset about you know some other nation buying up land. It's more the case of that's farmland that is supposed to be uh, utilized for Americans to feed themselves here, not for us to grow soybeans and send over to another country. Now, if we had farmers who uh, were Americans and and they had contracts to send soybeans over to China and and those americans own the land there then that'd be a different thing but we're basically leasing out our our land our farmland and we're sending it over to another nation and and we're not actually getting anything for it so um i i think that there is a way that we could possibly uh curtail it not necessarily stop it but curtail it um there is a uh an effort that um Canada just recently did to uh, stop the purchases of, of um, homes on the British Columbian coast. And I think the way they did that was they had that, uh, they had a tax tariff increased on foreign sale to China. And I think that was a 15% tax increase. And that, basically stop all the sale of, of homes in, in British Columbia. I believe that we can do something similar. Uh, particular nations that don't, uh, don't play with this on the diplomacy board, they can get some extra tariffs lopped onto them uh, to ensure that they don't purchase any lands within our country. That's one way to deal with it. Um, as far as uh, noble metals uh, go, um, there is a project that I would like to try to implement immediately once we get into uh, the White House um, to uh, retrofit our uh, um, fracking installations. Um, and I know down there in Louisiana, you have a lot of folks that are doing a lot of fracking, uh, especially around the Red River area. And uh, um, that, that fracking sluice is usually just pumped right back into the uh, aquifers, and it's not a very good thing. But uh, if we retrofit our fracking operations so that they, um, so that they uh, uh, refine that sluice, they can get the noble uh, metals that are in the sluice, and that contains duridium and thorium. And those are the two primary uh, elements that you need to create fusion energy. And I see a future in our—I uh, I see a future in our nation where deuterium and thorium are going to be the primary uh, uh, factors for our economy driving forward. Now, the United States, in its uh, refining process of that fracking uh, sluice juice. Uh, the United States has the highest concentrate of thorium in the entire world. So um, if we shift from a petroleum-based economy to a, uh, gosh, uh, uh, a fracking economy, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding, Uh, some kind of uh, deridium or thorium-based economy where the, the dollar is pegged on how much energy we can make from a particular product that we're pulling out, uh, that would just be similar to the uh, petroleum dollar that we have now, except now it's going to be based off of a uh, fusion slash digital dollar. And, and the reason why I say we would benefit from going to a, a digital dollar is because once we do go to fusion, uh, energy is practically going to be free. And uh, it would just make sense to, to go to a digital dollar at that point.
1: All right. I is don't there a s-
2: second. Was there a second part to that? Sorry. I was, that a, was there a second part? Was that the whole thing Matt?
6: Oh, no, I think go you ahead. did a really good job. I just wanted to thank you Eric, for that. You gave me some really interesting things to think about. And, uh, I appreciate you being here. We'll go to the next question. Yeah,
0: no worries. Thank you, man.
1: All right. Well, it looks like, uh, looks like Jim is back. Jim has a, a second question. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on you, Emily, I'm going to unmute Jim. And, uh, and I won't, uh, I won't unmute myself again, Emily, I'll let you drive the bus.
2: Oh, you're good. Um, I just, if no one else has any questions after Jim, I've got um, a handful of other ones from people. I'm not sure how much longer you want to go, Eric. Do you have a time limit?
1: We do have to go very soon. Um, he's got, he's got to get back to what I call Navy land where he lives and he's got some big dogs that need their dad back to take care of them.
2: Okay, we'll we'll just save those questions for next time and we will finish it off with uh, Jim and then Spirit will ask the last question. How's that sound? Okay, Jim, Uh, go
5: ahead. Okay, hey, Eric, this is definitely great. I appreciate you doing this. Um, Back touching on the economy. um, What are your solutions for the deficit? And how do you deal with the Congress that just keeps raising a ceiling, but it doesn't mean anything?
0: both the best questions yet tonight. Um, so man, the debt ceiling is definitely a thing. Uh, uh but as we see as our, our in- inflation increases, we definitely need to have a debt ceiling increase because of the inflation increases. Um, but however, once we start uh, retracting on our inflationary period that we're in, we should also retract the debt ceiling as well. Um, and your first question was about not the debt ceiling, but it was. Um, just, yeah, so, how deal with the
5: deficit and, uh, as large as the deficit. Oh, right. And well, would yes. inflation get you out of it? You know, you, you, you got to reduce the spending and you got to deal with that.
0: Right. Yeah. So I believe that, um, currently we are, uh, if we curtail our spending right now, I, I believe that we can pull back our deficit within 10 years. I know that's like a short period of time, um, but I've run the numbers and um, it is so long as uh, uh, we are able to uh, re uh, recap all of the interest that we're paying out currently to the Federal Reserve And then pay off our debts. We should be solvent within 10 years, provided that we have uh, the right um, budgets going forward, provided that we don't have a a Congress that's spending money like teenagers with daddy's credit card. Um, If they can curtail their spending, we can definitely bring ourselves back into solvency within, within a good, decent amount of time. However, the longer we go... The higher that interest rate is going on a year-to-year basis. And at some point, we're going to get to a point where we're not going to be able to pay off that interest at all, no matter how much we make it from taxes, no matter how much we, you know, no matter how many IRS agents we hire, we'll never be able to pay for that that interest rate. So at some point, we we definitely need to stop the spending, reduce the budget, bring our, our budget back into line.
5: That's, uh, that's definitely you know better information and an outlook than I've really ever heard anybody in politics uh, give us an answer. Um, can I just real ask ask a quick question. Uh, Chevy Ford or Dodge and again thank
0: you for uh, hosting this. Chevy for Chevy Ford she, Chevy all the way man. I, I was a Camaro guy so um, on the other hand, if it's a truck it's going to be a Ford.
2: Nice. Um, Okay, thank you, Jim. Um, I'm going to go ahead and unmute Spirit for the last question. And then, if Jay doesn't mind, I'm going to hand it over to you because you've ended many more podcasts than I have. Uh, So, Spirit, go ahead and ask your last question of the evening.
4: All right. um, So, just from the standpoint of taxation in America, uh, do you have any specific consideration on a topic of like tax cuts and also just about the nature of the internal revenue service and the treasury and a lot of the fears that people have about them sort of overstepping their bounds and the the, the debates around taxation.
0: Yeah. So I, as well as doing tax cuts for smaller businesses, I think businesses under 500 employees uh, need to get a better shake than they currently do. Um, I would try to bring some tax cuts to the smaller businesses just so that Main Street can get a a leg up again. Um, COVID really impacted our country pretty hard and Main Street really got the worst out of it. Um, You know, I know businesses in my small local community that were around for hundreds of years that suddenly, you know, uh, were forced out of business and, and they had their, their building turned into something completely different. Um, So definitely need to get our small businesses back on track again. Uh, Tax cuts for them for certain. Uh, That should help with uh, the normal day-to-day bills for everybody. Uh, Most people work for a smaller business. Um, Going forward, though, as a nation, uh, our, our taxes should be way more streamlined than they currently are. Uh, you know, I should not have to go do my taxes at the end of the year and pay agent uh, or block or someone else, you know, 50 bucks, just because I'm lazy. Uh, the IRS should be doing that for us. I mean, we spend a lot of money on IRS agents and, and auditors and stuff like that. Our systems should be so simplistic that uh, an auditor should just be a say, yes, this dude did his taxes, or no, you need to give us this much, and you shouldn't be the one doing it. I, I, I think there's a, a, a way that we can both streamline the IRS, streamline our tax code, and streamline uh, our, our, our business taxes so that there is a reduction in tax overall, but at the same time, we're getting more taxes out of our populace.
1: And I believe, uh, just to follow up, I think on my podcast, uh, if you want to hear more from Eric, uh, we did a podcast, uh, Who Is Eric Berner, um, on the Conservative Hippie podcast. I think you mentioned um, those IRS agents and the money allocated towards them, the resources. Uh, we could actually turn those around and use though use those agents, those resources, to audit and um, maintain um Oversight within the federal bureaucracy. So, in other words, instead of putting the pressure yeah. pressure on citizens, put the pressure on the bureaucracy itself to um, behave properly.
0: Correct. Yeah, and in our our systems are getting smarter and smarter by the day. That you know, we don't need eighty seven thousand people to to verify whether or not you paid your tax or not.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I've got to get I've got to get him up and going and and back to the dogs. Um, I really do appreciate everybody here. I want to say a couple points about the campaign. He came on here, um, took questions from the audience. That's the way he is. Uh, the campaign is all about um, integrity, transparency. Um, Accountability. And here he is standing up accountable, transparent, with integrity. Please go to ericburner.com today. That's B-O-E-R-N-E-R. Go to ericburner.com. We've got a form there. If you'd like to volunteer for the campaign, fill out the form, please. Um, It's going to take so many of us to get the word out, especially if you are a card-carrying member or officer, elected officer within the Republican Party. Get a hold of us, and we'll tell you how you can help. Also on the website, ericburner.com, go and donate. I'm not asking for uh, much. Give whatever you want to give, but understand that part of this game is getting unique donations, and we need to start getting these unique donations so that this snowball, snowball starts picking up steam, um, and that's the way we can fund things. Like right now, we've got to pay for our treasure and that monthly allowance. We've got a tech service we've got to pay for to go out and reach people. Um, so the, there's no frivolity of airplanes uh, coming... From for our campaign. We're literally um, at this stage just trying to fund the basic mechanisms of having this campaign um, travel. So please, Go give whatever you feel like, uh, four, $4.20, 20 20 bucks, A 100 bucks. whatever you feel comfortable with. But please give so that we start those unique donations rolling through. Again, that's ericburner.com. Um, and I want to thank you, Eric, for coming down, logging in uh, to Telegram for the first time, uh, giving Emily uh, your time and her platform and rewarding her volunteerism. Um, Just really commend you for answering these off-the-cuff questions that you received. Um, Takes a lot of guts, um, which, of course, you've already demonstrated by filing and taking on the mission you have. So thank you. I would want to thank you for everyone in the audience as we sign out. Um, Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, Like Jay said, if you can volunteer your time, that would be great. Um, And we definitely do need the unique donations as much as we can so anyhow thank you so much i appreciate your time guys
1: we We love you jay
5: the dude is all right
1: it's all about community come join us you can hit me up on twitter and telegram at j frat join the indecent disclosure channel on telegram if you want to join the hangin with hippie sessions and of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking Lifestyle, go to SmokinJays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout.